Hi everyone, Charlie Webster here. Thanks so much for joining us for a new episode of My Sport in Mind. Today, I'm really excited to talk to our guest, who is Rotherham United manager, Paul Warren. Welcome to the podcast, Paul. How's the build-up to the season going? We came back really early, so we were training the lads all the time online, and they're good athletes, good, really good humans, my team, so they were all on board for that. Then we came back early when the championship was still playing, which was a bit surreal, uh, and the playoffs hadn't even started. And then I... Uh, hopefully trying to be a nice leader, uh, give the lads a week off. And unfortunately, some of my players and staff went to Spain. So just as they then put the uh, oh, no. down, so that was great. So the lads came back and I had three players and a member of staff missing for two weeks, which was a bit odd. And then we've just been training ever since. And it's been, it's been going really well. I've, I've really enjoyed, that sounds a bit weird, but I've really enjoyed the whole COVID thing selfishly. And I know that sounds awful. If you've suffered from it or lost someone, I, I really apologise. One of my good friends lost both his parents. So, mm. But from my own personal point of view, I've reconnected with my wife and kids. Well, my wife's all I've always been good with, but my kids are 16 and 14, so it's hard to grab a conversation with them. So all of a sudden, I was walking two hours a day with them. I loved it. I had brilliant conversations with my kids and really got to know my kids again. So that was lovely. So And then going back to training and going back to the sort of working life's been good because I'm surrounded by my best friends at work and uh, I love my team. So uh, Best friends at work is in like, is in players or is in your team that you've got around you? That well, you work no, with a, a bit of both really, uh, a bit of both. Because the, my journey into football management is a bit strange possibly. Some of the players that we've still got were players when I was fitness coach and being a fitness coach is brilliant fun. Everyone loves the fitness coach, although they make you run, but you're a bit of a chief sneak. You tell the lads the information they want to know, <laughs> like what we're we doing today. Well, don't tell the gaffer, this is what you're doing all that. But so now I'm, you're the gaffer. <laughs> yeah, but now I'm the gaffer. I don't tell the fitness coach anything. Uh, uh, yes, yeah, so that's a bit strange, but so I still got a couple of players from those days and um, my staff, like I've employed all of them, recruitment included. So they're all good friends of mine. Uh, really good friends of mine like my assistant manager lives in Brighton but he lives up in a one bedroom flat up here to work with me so we're best mates so that's really good but I really love my players I'm obsessed with them I text them all the time uh, you know if I read something that I like I'll screenshot it and send it if I watch something like I was texting my winger last night Chio Ogbeni he's now I've got him to watch All or Nothing which I love uh, behind the scenes of American football I know there's on Sunderland and that I've watched them but so I'm constantly on them. So I really miss him when I don't see him. So to go back to work for me without the game stress is like lovely. So pre-season for me is the best time. I'm a fitness freak. The lads know that. So I've got a wry smile on my face most days. I want to ask you so many things about that. But just going back to your children, it's really interesting what you said because a couple of people have said the same thing as you and um, another manager did too. Has it made you rethink that then? As in the fact that you reconnected with your kids yeah. because you were given a forced break yeah it has I mean I've, I always knew that um and I think most managers will say this I always knew that I wasn't spending enough time with my kids or enough attention with my kids so I could sit there at a dinner and they could be talking but my mind could be elsewhere or my phone could be over the other side of the room and then it goes off and then you know I, I go to it I you know if it's the chairman's ringtone or something like that I've got to answer it Whereas I think during this whole, like, not repatriation, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but this whole being back with my kids has made me look at it differently and I try and turn my phone off in periods of the day. So I think, right, I'm sitting there talking to my son now, right, I am definitely putting my phone on airplane mode for half an hour without a shadow of a doubt. And nothing is that important that I can't give him half an hour. 
So it's definitely helped me in that way. I mean, you, you could ask my kids, they'd probably say it's a disaster. <laughs> but so that's definitely helped me. And I just think my life work balance will be better. Mm. And I'm hoping, and that is a big hope because we've got a big season ahead of us that yeah. I won't take the defeats as hard as I've always taken them. And I just think that it's put sport into context a little bit with me. And, and I hope that's the case. I say it to you now, but you know, as soon as the games come, you know, it could be a different beast. But I hope it's changed me a little bit to just appreciate the simpler things. I'll remind you <laughs> when I, if there's a defeat and I watch your reaction. But yeah. on that note, is it hard to do that, though, in football? Because it is all consuming. Even now, you're obviously working on pre-season training, you're working on the transfer window. It's almost like it's all the time, even in the breaks, especially as a manager. And also with the defeats because you're so invested and you're so passionate about it isn't that also why it's really hard to take those defeats yeah it's, it's really hard I mean a good thing if someone's listened to my voice now and can't really appreciate what football management is there's a book out called living on a volcano which is a great read different managers talk about the stress of it and it's just the fact that you, you can't get away from it I think it's probably the best way to put it so even today, like we had a day off today for the first time in like four weeks, apart from a Sunday, sorry. And I played golf with my assistant manager. Now the whole 16 holes we played, we talked about the team training, about recruitment. And you just don't seem to have much time to yourself. So I've tried to get into yoga, but it's just, I want to say that I'm one of them guys who can try things and get into them, but I can't get into yoga because it's not <laughs> moving. There's no calorie burning going on. So, <laughs> you're like me. You're quite high energy, aren't um, you? <laughs> uh, so, so I've got. I do a lot more mountain biking than I used to do again, which is quite nice. But so I'm just trying to get in a bit of mindfulness, just to get my brain like relaxed. It's awful. Like I get up, you know. It's not awful, that's an exaggeration, but I get up and go to the toilet half two in the morning. I'm 47 years old. My bladder isn't what it used to be. And then I can lay there then for a good amount of time just thinking about the next training session, the next team I've got to pick, the next headache coming. Now, it's a lot easier than it used to be. I um, got better after three or four years of doing it, trying to like really try and compartmentalize it sort of thing so I, I can get away from it a little bit. But at times, it still does hit you really hard. And if you have back-to-back defeats and you're getting criticized and, that is difficult. But the hardest thing for me, with all sincerity, is that I, I love my staff and I love my players. I, I adore my... I would do anything for any of them. They all know that. And I've got some examples that I possibly can't share. But I would do anything for them. But I always think that if we lose, it's all on me. I know loads of Rotherham fans because I've been at the club for a lot of years. You know, all my family kindly and my friends back at home follow me. But when I lose, it just feels like I've let a lot of people down. And that is like, I mean, I'm saying it to you now and I could break saying it. It's very tough. Mm. And I said to the lads the other day about, because I'm obsessed about my team badge and how that represents all of us. And I say it to the lads all the time. But I was saying, look, you have to understand when I pick the team, there's 20, I've got 22 players at the moment. But when I pick the team, I'd love to pick all of you. I would. I don't want to upset anyone. I'm not that guy. But I have to pick the best team, not my best friends, obviously. But I have to pick a team that I think is going to keep all my best friends in a job. Because... I know what football's like. If we lose so many games and I lose my job, the next manager comes in and says that these are Warney's staff, you know, he can't be here, he can't be here. Now, I, they're, they're my best friends. They're like people yeah. I know their wives, I know their kids, I know their financial outlays, I know everything. And it all sort of lays at the manager's door, which is a bit unfair, but it, I mean, that's probably why we get paid more money because of the extra pressure. But 
it is extra pressure. I, I drive home after defeat and I'm, I'm in bits. I, I, I remember when I first took the job over and I've definitely got better, but the first few months I was waking up, I was spitting blood every day. I was chewing the side of my mouth when I slept. I wasn't sleeping very well. I was addicted to caffeine. I mean, I love coffee. Well, how do I love coffee? But I was having too much. Even I know that. I lost a stone in weight and I'm no heavier than the day I finished playing. So I didn't have a stone to lose. And it just got too much. It just got too much. And I'm definitely better than I was, but I feel guilty when the team loses and I think it's down to me. And, and the way the world is now, if a team does great, the players have done great. And in fairness, the manager probably gets too much praise. But like when Barcelona lost to Bayern Munich, the first thing that was discussed as soon as the final whistle went, well, he's gone. Barcelona manager's gone. He's mm. definitely going to go. And I think, you know, there could be loads of other issues, loads of things we don't know, loads of, you know, recruitment issues, player issues. You don't know what's happened behind the scenes, but it all ends up at the manager's door. And I think, you know, I think managers' careers are getting shorter and shorter because mm. of it. Only the very, very good ones are the ones who can cope with it. But that's rare because you are, you have been in it almost what seems like a lifetime. It's been what, four years? Yeah. Is it four years? Like 2016? Yeah, nearly, yeah, nearly four but, years. Yeah. But that's, that's quite a long time, you know, joking aside, it, yeah. it's a long time in, in football. But just listening to you talk, all I can think is, oh my God, you're putting so much on yourself. You, you know, you said that if there's defeat, it's my fault. Yeah. You know, it's, it it's of yeah. me. But yeah. then isn't that also slightly unhealthy for your own mental health and your own self that you even said it about the Barcelona about when they lost to Bayern Munich that it could be other things do you also see that there can be other things yourself because you know do you think that's sustainable to think like that I mean you obviously said that it's something that you've you've tried to change and you've got a bit better of balance or do you think that's also what makes the very very unique managers I don't know because they because you do take it like that yeah I Oh, that's a good question. I, I think it's a, it's a bit double-edged for me. I, I, I think the best managers are the ones who can think, look, I'll leave it at the door. You know, we lost today, but we played quite well or we didn't deserve it. And they can just walk away from it. But I struggle with it. I, I do struggle with defeat uh, big time. But then I think that's probably a strength because then I want to push change all the time. I'm always changing. So like um, there's a saying I really like about, and I said it to my staff pre-season, like don't be a prisoner of success. So just because we've done really well before and we're really good at set pieces, don't think we can't change them. It's the sort of same thing with defeat. I, I, it's, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be the one who blames myself, who comes home and puts his hood over his eyelids when he's watching TV with his kids on a Saturday night because he's lost and he doesn't want to speak to anyone. I don't want to be that person. And I'm saying it to you now, like completely, you know, I'm not trying to be disingenuous about it. I don't want to be that person. But unfortunately, sometimes the dark holes are dark. And I, and, yeah. and I think that for managers, like for me, and you can ask my coaching staff, my players, I like to think that every time they see me, they know who they're going to see. They're always going to see the gaffer who's smiley, chatty, positive. That's who I am. And that's who I have to be for all my staff, all my players, no matter what happens. However, once I drive home on my own, that's completely different. And sometimes I've got to let, I don't know if I have to let a bit of darkness in, that sounds a bit extreme, but... I have to feel the defeat to then motivate myself to get the group going again. And I know it's not always my fault. I, had a, I did a chat at a golf club once in Rotherham, like a charity evening, and there was a lot of Rotherham fans in the room. I don't know, let's say there's 100 people in the room, 70 fans were Rotherham, 70 people were Rotherham fans, and they were going, oh, you better change the team for this weekend warning when you really need to beat Bristol Rovers. I remember it really well. So I said, okay, can I ask all the Rotherham fans to stick their hands in the air? 
And uh, so like 70 people, give or take, stuck their hands in the air. So I said, okay, uh, would you be so kind? If you watched our last game, can you keep your hand up? So if you, if you came to our last game, keep your hand up. If you haven't, put it down. Every single person put their hand down in the room, right? right? So I said, look, can I explain it to you from a manager's point of view? So none of you have been to my last game, have you, in this room? No, right? But you all think I should change the team. Yeah, okay. So none of you have been to my game. None of you have watched five games of the opposition recently. None of you know any of my players weak. You don't know if they've had any problems with their wives, their kids, illness. You don't know any of their lives, do you? No. None of you have watched them train every single minute of every day this week. No. None of you have spoke to the physio. No. And none of you have got a tactical plan about how to beat the opposition, have you? And they went, no. And I said, look, I'm not that guy. I'm not moaning that fans have an opinion. I understand that. But you have to understand, I pick the team based on all that information you don't know. So yeah. you might know 1% because you like this player and you think he wears nice boots that he should play. But I know all this. And sometimes you can pick the right team, the right tactics, but the opposition is just better. And that is the sad reality. So although in answer, in a very long answer, I do know that defeat isn't always my fault. It does end up at my door. It's interesting because... I'm even as a football fan myself I sometimes do that oh why does he pick that what's he I think we all like to think that we can play football and can manage football when actually it's a really good point I've never heard that said before where actually there's so many factors that come into play even the fact that players might be having a bad time yeah I mean, I've got a player at the moment, one of my best players having a bad time, bless him. But I mean, this is a good story. I had a game last year, I think it was Fleetwood at home, and I had uh, all my centre-halves were injured, all of them. Unbelievable run of luck. And so my next sort of centre-half option was my centre midfielder, Matt Crooks, who's really a number 10, but he's six foot five and he looks the part. So I thought, look, we'll have to play with a three at the back and he can be the centre-half and I'll play with two full-backs. And he had, uh, (laughs) it's embarrassing, but he had diarrhoea pretty bad so we didn't think he could make the game so he had to get changed in his own changing room in the staff changing room we all had to move out he played centre half and I had fans behind me during the game going Warney what are you doing get Crooksy in midfield and I wanted to turn around and say look I've got no centre halves I've got Crooksy ill pooing through the eye of a needle playing centre half for me to help the team win and you're moaning and you feel like putting it on the back of your top that Crooks is playing because so yeah, you do get, well, I do, I do get frustrated with unfair criticism. That is true. And I think all managers are like that, in fairness. I like to think they are. Yeah, no, I can, I can well imagine. Like you said, there's so many factors, even diarrhea. And so <laughs> on, on that, which we can all relate to, I'm sure. <laughs> um, on that, you know, you're talking about, you've mentioned quite a few times how much you care about your players, it's really interesting because I spoke to some managers that are really, really man managers. And then I spoke to some players who have told me about certain managers that don't even speak to them. Now, before we, we started recording this, um, you were saying that you got your players to stand up, you know, and, and I mean, you don't have to go into the personal thing about the players, but to talk a bit more about who they were as players. I suppose how important is it for you as a manager that you know your players and that you know those things, never mind the diarrhea, but actually what they're going through that week in their personal lives. Yeah, well, it's essential for me. Like when we recruit, I do a lot of delving. I have, well, I've been having Zoom calls with them and all that. But 
with the new players, the new signings I've got so far, they don't know yet. But before the season starts, they'll have to talk to the group. They all have like a 15-minute thing that I ask them to put photos together, which the analysts will do for them. And they'll talk to the club, the players, the staff. I'll have all the staff in the room. And they'll just talk about what motivates them and their, their background. Now, I had it one year that one of my players done a talk I joined the club about four weeks before and um, he was talking about his two-year-old son and loads of the lads started laughing so they didn't even know he had a son. So it's, I'm obsessed with it that the lads have to know each other and when we... I'm so yeah, bad, God, I'm that's so quite bad. like basic as well. That's yeah, like... No, isn't it? And I, I know if somebody's like, got kids oh, or not. Yeah, it is a, it's a big deal, isn't it? But in fairness, it does take some time to get to know each other but the quicker they get to know each other and understand each other, the better for me. So we, we do quite a lot of things just to get a feel of each other's background and, and that, because I think people get motivated by different things. I think people take criticism uh, different ways, that is for sure. So me and my assistant manager have both got like a degree in teaching. So we sort of look at things a little bit different on, on mm. feedback, but we run a, a small squad, a tight squad, and I just need everyone to respect everybody in the room. So they all have to know each other's problems. That's probably a bit extreme, but they all just have to know each other. And I just think that, you know, someone, not that I have got, but someone might have been a private school and, you know, had everything given to them and had professional coaching from a young age. And some kid might have been non-league till they were 22. So I just need the lads to respect each other, really. And I, I, I need the, like, when I when I speak to the players, I, I get them in individually over the course of the season, but... I'm so bad with names of wives and kids, and I hate that. I hate saying to some player, like, oh, how's your missus? Like, I should know his missus, his name is Helen. I, I'm, I really beat myself up for that. So I have a little black book I have, which sounds wrong, I know, but I have all the players, wives, dads, you know, granddads, children. Mm. So like, one of my best players lost his granddad in the summer. He was a great bloke. I loved him. Um, God, it upsets me a little bit. Oh. Um, Sorry, granddad, and he, he texts me on holiday Aww. to say, "Look, Gaff, I want you to know because you you know you were great with him. I want you to know that you know granddad passed. I haven't told him the lads yet, and all that. And it meant the world to me. It meant more to me than a win because I thought that if he wanted to reach out to me and tell me yeah. that that we'd like you know we've got a human a human connection, which means a lot to me. So like, I don't judge, and I know you're not going to ask me this question, but I want to say it well it's in my head. I don't judge my managerial success on my wins I don't I judge it on my relationship with all my players and all my staff so the day when it finishes for me at this club will be a very sad day but I'd like to think that I've had some effect on their lives so I've got really good coaches so I'm fine at delegating I have no ego I don't need to be one of them managers who sets a session off and then lets a coach take it because I've seen this and then the manager comes over and goes no that's not right I'm definitely not that guy my coaches are brilliant but I I try and manage my group and I try and manage my players and I try and get so they know that I, you know, I care for them and I appreciate what they do for us and that they know whatever I ask them to do, that I would do the same. And they know that. So when we, when we haven't been on a pre-season camp this year where we always go because of COVID, unfortunately, but I was up at seven o'clock running five miles with them every morning. I wanted to show them that if I'm prepared to do it, you know, you have to be prepared to do it. So the relationship and the knowing each other and all that in the dressing room is 100% essential to me above anything, above anything. You can hear and feel like how much, I mean, I'm looking at you and I know people listening aren't there, but you can hear it in your voice as well as I can see it in you. And um, you remind me of something. I was just, I wrote something down about what Justin Langer said. And I know that you listened to that episode and it was really interesting speaking to him because he said that in leadership, 
and in management, and it's really similar to what you are talking about, that people are the most important part of any organization. And I think sometimes when we look at football, there is a, a thing that people do where they see maybe football as commodity or um, especially because of the way modern football is now. But actually, would you say that seeing them as humans <laughs> is far more important than looking at the athlete side of things? or the physical side of things and actually seeing how them, how they, how they behave, how their mind works, how they take criticism and seeing them as individuals, like you said, and actually getting to know them. And even the fact that you had that player that, you know, told you about something that was so personal to him about his granddad passing away. Well, well, for me, it is, is essential that like I know my players and I, and I, and I say it to them all the time that I love my players. I do. So for example, at the moment there's, like one or two of my players who might not get into my, you know, my squad. So that conversation with them is horrendous. But it's quite easy because they know that, you know, I would do, I would do anything for mm. them to help them. But they also know that I won't hinder their contract, hinder their career to benefit me, which I know might sound a bit, you know, yeah, he's, he's saying a classic here, but it's the truth. So if I think it suits one of my players to go and play somewhere else, or if I'm to sell one of my players to go somewhere else, but it benefits them, then I'll do it. We, we sold players last year. Shemi Ajayi, who went to West Brom, who I think got player of the season, got promoted to the Premier League. We yeah. sold him for very little money. But in fairness to the chairman, I went to see him and said, look, chairman, he's been brilliant for us. You know, we can't stand in his way. It's a life-changing contract for him. Uh, we've got to let him go. And in fairness, from a managerial point of view, it's suicide. I, I'm a, I'm, we were a less team without him. Although it wasn't completely selfless because it allowed, allowed everybody else in the dressing room to back what we were trying to do. So if players come to us and do very well, they're going to move on. So we yeah. did get some trust from it. But, but that's mate, just like, I'm just even looking at you thinking, you know, that's rare to hear that in, yeah. in football sometimes. And there's, you know, ego is the word that's used quite a lot. And I've had a conversation with various different players where it's like, you need that ego, but it seems to be something that you don't, you don't have. No. I mean, I had a player once who, a club came in for him and it was a London club. And I said, look, I, I don't think it's for you. I don't, I don't want you to go. Uh, and he didn't go. But the reason I didn't want him to go is I, I knew his partner. She was brilliant. They were, had a great relationship. And if he moved to London, I just, I just didn't think it was right for him at that age to go to London. I've seen players go to London. Some players can take it. I'm not saying it like that. I just knew that... He's a great kid, but he was easily influenced. And I've seen one of my friends be affected by the London lights and that. And I, and I talked him out of it. Uh, and he didn't go. And like we're still friends this day. I still speak to him. He's not in my club anymore. We still speak to each other quite a lot. And and, uh, and it wasn't a footballing decision. I didn't want him to go there. I just knew as you know, as like one of my kids, that it, I wouldn't want my child to have done that if that was him. Mm. If you know what I mean. So I always try and look after my players like they're my own kids. Mm. And unfortunately, sometimes they upset me like my own kids do. But uh, <laughs> how do you deal with that then? Because you know, even even just when you were saying, I was just kind of comment on what the back of you said yeah. because I think there's a. Uh, it reminds me of a couple of things where we see football as football, and then we see the individual as the individual. But surely, if he would have gone down that influence, whoever it is, then that would have affected his football. It's not separate, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 No, it's not. No. So how do you deal with how do you deal with when like a player maybe upsets you or you don't well, think that they're giving you a, your best? Yeah, I have had a player upset me uh, last year. To be fair, we had a heated discussion that I, I wasn't pleased about, to say the least, and I was really shocked by it. I was really upset by it. Actually, I was because I've never had a player speak to me that way before. But I've since you know I, I 
I took a step back from it, really. I, I would never have spoke to a manager the way he spoke to me. But then my, my background, I'm really fortunate. I had two loving parents, two beautiful brothers. So my, my thing about feedback isn't criticism. But, you know, with other players, it is. And so my initial was, like, I, I, I wanted to rant and rave at him. But I kept thinking, like, just keep breathing. Just keep breathing. Just let him say what he's got to say. And then just try and, you know... Because he was that angry, he couldn't hear what I said. I could have said, look, mate, you won the lottery. There's your ticket. Yeah. He either just chewed it up. So I had to let him vent at me. It wasn't comfortable. And, you know, some people might listen to me think it was weak management. But it was just confrontational. I had nothing to win. So I remember driving home and I was devastated by it. I was. I, was de- I just couldn't believe that the way I treat my players, that someone would come for me like that. It really surprised me. So I remember driving home. I remember speaking to my wife about it. And then she said, look, you, you'll figure it out. You just figure it out what you want to do. And then I pulled the player the next day. And I, instead of like, I don't know, what would probably be archetypal football management, I don't know, fine him, drop him from the team, tell him to leave the training ground, not to come back for a couple of days. But I didn't. I went the other way with him. I just said, look, uh, you know, I apologize if what I've done has made you that angry. And I have to appreciate that you're upset. But you have to appreciate that you've upset me. You can't speak to me like that. And that's not because I'm a football manager, by the way. If I was your mate or if I was your dad or if I was your son, you, you can't speak to people like that. It's unacceptable. And I, I listened to his message and I just said, look, you know, you can't speak to people like that and expect them to respect what you're saying. That's how I said it. And I said, look, my son wouldn't speak to me like that. My dad wouldn't have spoke to me like that. You cannot speak to me like that. So once we addressed the fact that that was okay, we then had the conversation again, but not as angry. And I, you know, he understood what I was saying. I understood what he was saying. Both respected each other and we've moved on. But I find it difficult when I try and put up really big respect barriers that if people overstep the respect thing, that, that I really struggle with that. So... We have a badge, a big Rotherham United badge in the middle of the dressing room. And if the lads step on that, it's a £50 fine. Now, I'm not really a fine a person. You know, I'm not, I'm not obsessed with things like that. I, I understand it has a disciplinarian reason. But it's more about the fact that I think the badge represents everybody in the building. So it represents the players. It represents the chef. It represents the kit man. It represents everybody who's in that training building. It represents the chairman, all the fans. And... If you step on the badge, you, it feels like you're disrespecting everybody. And that, oh, that gets me. I once spoke to a bloke who uh, works in a shop in Meadowhall, which you obviously you know because <laughs> yeah. you uh, I'm from there, yeah. <laughs> Meadowhall is a shopping centre in yeah, Sheffield, in South Yorkshire. Yeah, also traffic. nicknamed Meadowhall. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I was going to say that because that's what I thought. Of I know, I nearly yeah. said it and then I was like, oh, maybe I should have said that. Sorry, uh, yeah, Meadowhall yeah, yeah, people. Yeah, I don't, I don't but that's what we used to nickname it as kids, Meadowhall. Yeah, well, in <laughs> fairness, yeah, my, my kids name is something very similar. So but I, I spoke to a bloke who worked in a shop there, a lovely bloke, talked to me about football. He said, oh, I'm really looking forward to the game Saturday morning. It's one of the games I go to. And I said, what do you mean? one of the games so he said look after my wages after i pay my rent after i pay my food i have 60 pound left a month that gets me two tickets and three pints to both games and it broke me a little bit so i was saying to the lads look you know like when you're playing you're playing for yourself you're playing for your own family you're playing for my family you're playing for his family you know the physio's family but you're playing football for people who are that excited that they'll spend their last 50 20 quid to come and watch you so please don't respect them by stepping on the badge or underperforming or you know, and I always ask my fans to speak to my players in Tesco's or the wealthy ones in Waitrose, which there are many, um, and speak to them because I want them to be connected to people. But respect is a, a massive thing for me. So I was really upset when I had that disagreement with a player. Mm. 
I was because I just felt like I've shown him nothing but respect, in my opinion. But in his opinion, I hadn't. So I had to swallow a little bit. But it did upset me. It did. It's like if my kids, mm. you know, if, I, if, if I'm really upset with people, I do it a bit like my dad did. I just say, look, I'm, I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. And then it's like, <gasps> <gasps> oh, my God, I know. Even that's made me feel like. <laughs> oh, the disappointment one is too much. <laughs> Don't be disappointed in me. But on that, on that note, it, it's also... Did it also teach you about how different people take different feedback? Yeah. Uh, I mean, that same player I've spoke to only two days ago and said, look, I apologise for the way I managed you last year because I, I managed you as an individual, but I, I probably didn't niche him enough. And now I think I have. And I said to him, I said, look, mate, I know we're still going to have fallings out about the team if you're not in the team or every player wants to play every week. I know that. But it definitely, it definitely made me uh, look at myself and think, look, it wasn't so much him. It was, it was probably me. I think it made it probably made me a better man, but it probably made me a better manager for sure. That it's always better if there's a problem brewing to go mm. and get it than let it come to your door. That, yeah. that is definitely something of it um, not improved on, but I have a better awareness of. In in that sense, do you see? I mean, because you you know you said you've got a degree in teaching, you seem so big into psychology and behaviours. Do you think mental health is a big part of your consideration in your job? What, mental health for my players? And stuff. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I would take a healthy, mentally fit player over a talented player any day of the week, any day of the week. And I think, like with me at my football club, like I always give the lads Sundays off, even if there's a game on Tuesday. Now, I know other people will be like, oh my God, you've got to come in and recover. I, I understand the physiological. I've got a sports science degree like everybody else seems to have these days. So... I get, I get all that. I just think having a family day, being able to get out of bed when you want, spending time with the loved ones is more important than coming in and stretching for five minutes and looking at my face. And if I'm honest, I want that day off as well. And the same, I always give them Wednesdays off if we play Tuesdays because I want them to, I want them to breathe. They're not, they're not like assets. that you, They're not like machines that you can just keep, right, run 10K every day and all that. They have to enjoy their lives. And I think happier people are more productive people yeah and, and appreciated people definitely perform at a higher level yeah. and and i think like last year we had a horrendous year like it started off with the uh, the past of my father massive blow uh, i can't talk about that without crying right but like uh, one of my players uh, his child nearly passed away one of my players lost his best mate one of my members of staff you know lost his brother to suicide there was just so much going on now if we wouldn't have had a real amazing group it would have just finished us off so I was more concerned about how the group was than I was about not no that's not true not about how I wasn't more concerned about them than I was about playing I still wanted the team to win yeah but I had a real a real care for the lads and it got a little bit obsessive that if they if we played poorly or we didn't win and they got criticized on social media or anything like that I was so protective I'm thinking look have you got any idea what this this group are going through you've got People just think, you know, oh, like your, your mum died last week, but you can play tomorrow, can't you? Yeah, like, yeah you get people, paid enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Well, paid enough doesn't mean it. It's, I oh, know. Oh, don't get me on that. But I remember once playing with someone who um, he lost his dog. Now, if you like dogs, which I do, he lost his dog the day of a game and the manager was like, so what? You're playing at three o'clock. My mate was devastated absolutely mortified and he played but he always lost a bit of respect for that manager because of that like I just thought it was just too much I don't think a game and I know how important it is to the fans and I understand it and, and all that but you get your player to play in one game when he isn't comfortable for one he might not play well and the, and the crowd don't know why he isn't playing well 
but you might have 26 more games that you're asking him to play at your max for you. Why would he? Why mm. would he? If I, if I lost my dog today and I said to the chairman, look, chairman, I lost my dog today. I, I just can't get out of bed. I'm not coming in tomorrow. And he says, you have to. I would lose respect for him straight away. Yeah, I and, yeah, and then you start to Paul, resent. Yeah, Paul, take yeah. as long as you need. I'd come back as soon as I felt comfortable, which would probably be, you know, Saturday morning or whatever the case may be. But I'd come back as soon as I could. But then I'd do anything for that chairman because he'd yeah. shown me respect and, like, and courtesy. So I like to think that you, you, you've got to do that for your players. And they have to have, a, a, like, we have, uh, we're lucky that we have a, a volunteer vicar that comes in. And I'm an atheist, not that matters. But it doesn't mean I don't like vicars. They're great people. So... But he comes in once a fortnight to talk to the players. Uh, the players have a doctor come in once a week if they want to speak to him. They can speak to me. And if I ever have an issue with a player now, uh, an issue, something I want to discuss, more often than not, I take him out of my office and I walk around the training ground with him. Because it's just a lot less, you know, I'm the boss, you're the player. You know, try and walk him around and have a chat with him. And now I've got a puppy. I might take him in once a week because everyone talks to a dog, don't they? Oh, Yeah. I got love told, a puppy, love a dog. Yeah, oh, yeah. I love a stroke. It's oh, therapeutic. Yeah, isn't it? it is. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, hence why, uh, I, when I'm walking around the park sometimes, I just, can I stroke your dog? And then I feel better for the rest of the day. <laughs> the worst thing is, my, my kids are devastated, because, not devastated, but I'm a very chatty man. <laughs> Having a dog is a disaster. So I can't get anywhere, because everyone <laughs> speaks to someone who's got a dog. Plus, I've got a Labrador puppy, which is... <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, it is. So it literally, a 10-minute walk can take an hour. Because if anyone says, oh, right, Warnie, how are you getting on? Yeah, not too bad. How's the season looking? Yeah, not too bad. So, uh, <laughs> but the whole mental health thing is like... I mean, I know it's a, it's a trendy thing to bounce about at the moment, isn't it? Like, mindfulness is a trendy word. and But mental health has to be, because the lads have... It's, it's heartbreaking that... The lads have real demons. Like playing football isn't an easy thing to do. Playing professional football is not an easy thing to do. And if you're having a bad time and you're getting criticised during the game and then your whole social media is getting criticised off people all week, but then you expect them next week to be amazing. I'm thinking, mm. why, why would you criticise? Just encourage. I, so the lads have to be happy and healthy and feel secure at the football club. So even if we lost our first game of the season 6-0, I'd like to say that I would never criticise a player. And you can go through all my post-match interviews. And if I've done it, I, I, I can't believe I did it. But I would always take all the blame because they cannot take anything more on the players. It, they live in this culture where they can't hide from anything. Yeah. Like someone might say, oh, I saw, I don't know, Michael Smith in uh, Meadowhale with his kid on Wednesday having food and we'd lost last night. How dare he? And I'm thinking, what? what? He's not allowed to eat. I mean, it's just yeah. lunacy. So, yeah. I just wish if anyone listened to this who criticised their players online and that, please don't. They're, 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 they're kids who are just in men's bodies. That it's just, it's just heartbreaking for mm. me. It's one of the common themes that's come up on this podcast, actually, is um, how we view our sports people across different sports and also how much social media can fuel that sometimes and how much, you know, no matter who you are and no matter how big a profile you are, how much money you've got, when there's a criticism i know you're shaking your head but i'm saying that because sometimes that's what people say right it's not my opinion the slightest but a criticism is a criticism and everybody's human at the end of the day now i'd love to ask you what you do for your own mental health how you cope and how you manage to cope with last year i know that you run a lot um just because i run a lot (laughs) to cope as well um you know what what how do you look after yourself yeah, I do. Uh, I do run a lot. 
I mean, I joked with you before, didn't I, that my wife spoke to me at work the other day and I was I sounded a bit ratty and she said, have you exercised yet? I went, no, she said, well, don't come home to the exercise for goodness sake. So I definitely have that release. Um, I do like going mountain biking through the woods up around where I live. I do enjoy that. I have now got a puppy, so I definitely enjoy stroking him when I get home and I enjoy walking him, which is nice. But I, I do read a lot. I do love podcasts. I love podcasts. I'm a bit obsessive with podcasts, to be fair. So I really enjoy them. I do read a lot of leadership books, but my wife moans at me saying, look, when you're reading them, it's like being at work. You need to do something else. So I um, I love NFL. I love American sport. I'm obsessed with American sport. I love any documentary on American sport. I love. I love their attitude. So I think the British attitude is a bit stiff. I always like to think that one day I'll end up coaching in America. I think my personality might be more suited. So when we got relegated from the championship uh, the second time, I mean, I'm very lucky. I've took my team relegated twice and I've still got my job. So I'm very fortunate. But we had a game away at West Brom, the last away game. And for anyone who's listening to this, I did an interview at the end. I think it's on YouTube or something because I break down crying. Massive shock. I'm a quite an emotional guy. But... The night before, I decided I wanted to do this thing which I'd seen on an NFL documentary and it was about like hugging everybody in the room. So this COVID has been a disaster for me because I'm very tactile. <laughs> so this whole elbow touching and that is difficult for me. But, so I decided to do this thing that got all the lads in the room for a team meeting, completely changed the team meeting, put George Michael faith on and said, right, I'm going to put this song on. You all have to get up, hug everybody in the room, thank them for their efforts this season. And then just go out tomorrow and enjoy yourself. Just give it everything you've got. And if you lose, that's fine. We're still here for you. We still love you. But, you know, if, if you're successful, great. But whatever happens, like everybody in this room might not be together again. So please hug everybody. You can leave the room if you're uncomfortable with it. Uh, and I made a joke. But if you do, you'll never play again. That was a joke. <laughs> uh, the atmosphere. But I put it on and everyone was, and my coaches before I did it said, look, Gaffer, you can't do that. That's just too much for the Brits. They just won't like it. I said, look, I have imposter syndrome. So much for the Brits. I know, <laughs> I but we that. are stiff, aren't we? And I keep, when I first took over, I had a massive imposter syndrome that, you know, oh, that bloke at the back of the room doesn't buy into what I'm saying. But now I've done it for so many years. I think, do you know what? I'm doing it. If I want to do it, and I think the lads will enjoy it, and I think they'll get something out of it, and I'll get something out of it, because fundamentally I'm, I'm responsible for my own happiness, then uh, we're going to do it. So we did it. It went down an absolute storm. The lads were brilliant at West Brom at Hawthorns. They got... They got relegated. They played really well. They lost. The fans all stayed. Our fans all stayed to clap the team off. And I couldn't have been prouder. It was amazing. But I just think that all them documentaries, all like, you know, NFL and basketball and all that sort of, and ice hockey. I had a really good relationship with my ice hockey coach in Sheffield. I learned loads of him. Just the way different sports look at different things is really interesting. That's sort of my release, really. So you basically don't switch off. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. <laughs> You're like, well, I, I got a puppy and I go running, and, um, but I watch sports documentaries because actually, like... <laughs> See, it's, it's hard, isn't it? Like, I actually go running, listening to podcasts, and uh, I have sometimes I'm running and I've opened my notes up on my phone, typing in something I've just listened to on a podcast that I want to use in a team meeting the next day. But in a weird world of worn perversion, that is a release for me. If I think that I'm doing something that's going to improve me and improve the team, it makes me happy. So, yeah, that, that sounds really poor. Like, I have no life. It doesn't. I'm just any winding you up. <laughs> now, now I've heard myself say it. I'm thinking, wow, I need to, need to get a hobby. But, uh, yeah, so that is sort of me in a nutshell. No, it makes me laugh because I can, I can be a little bit like that. <laughs> um, the final thing I was going to ask you... 
what advice would you give to anybody out there that's maybe I know you went through a lot of grief last year that struggled for grief or um just around a uh I don't want to use the word positive but a healthy mental health because I think sometimes there's this pressure where you've got to be positive all the time but I believe sometimes you have to like you said go to the dark places and feel the emotion if you're feeling crap so what advice would you give for like a healthy um, mental health sure it's a good question my view on life is is quite simple really i just think you just have to be 100 percent true and honest to yourself all the time so for example if you now said to me 15 20 years ago like what music do you listen to i would there would be a part in my brain sorry my labrador's knocking my computer every day. <laughs> uh, there'd be a part in my brain that think like, i need to think of something quite cool to say Whereas now I wouldn't. If you said to me, what have you listened to today? I'd say I listened to the new Taylor Swift album, which I love, right? So in regards to mental health and getting over grief and that, I would just go with the flow. So I could drive to work tomorrow um, in the best mood ever, not a problem. A song could come on, I could think about my father and I could bawl and I would have no shame in crying all the way in. I would have a team meeting with the lads and they'll tell you this, this is true. And I would just let it go. I broke down in many team meetings uh, no end of team meetings, to be fair. I even sometimes cry after the game to tell them how proud I am of them. I've got no control of my emotions anymore, and I don't want to have control of it. But maybe that is that is how you regulate your emotion. Yeah, yeah. I don't. What because I mean is you like, do let it out. Yeah, I'm never unhappy. I'm never unhappy. So even if I'm crying, I could be crying and laughing. I love going to the beach. So the North Norfolk coast, Wales next to the sea, is the best place in the world. And I can sit and look at the sea coming in and out, and I can just cry. And it just releases everything in me. I spoke to my friend the other day who's just taken over as a manager and, and he laughed at me because we used to joke about it. And now he's taken over as a manager. He went, mate, I keep crying no, no end now. I'm like, oh, that's good. You, you, you're having a great crack at it. But I just think, just be honest with yourself and, and just speak to people. So if I'm having a bad day, which, you know, if I want to speak about my dad, I will bring a team meeting to talk about my dad straight away. Straight away, I'll bring my dad into it. I might even put a photo of him behind me and say, look, this is me and my dad when I graduated from university. Right, he always wanted me to just enjoy every day of my life, live in the moment because no one knows if they're getting it tomorrow. And if you feel sad, you're entitled to feel sad. Don't beat yourself up about it. If you feel really happy, then enjoy that. But I just don't think there's it's one size fits all. I just think you've just got to be honest with yourself. And that's, that's what I do. So I'm, I'm, ha- I'm happy at being unhappy at times, but I'm even happier at being happy. That's even better. It's the... I think it's one of the best pieces of advice. I'm really glad you said it because it's one of the biggest things I've, that's made a difference in my life over the last couple of years is learning to accept that because yeah, I... It's not easy. Yeah, no, it's not. But it also, it's like, oh, it's okay to be unhappy and just accept it. Not, not unhappy, but sad. Um, and actually to let your emotions out. Paul, thank you so much. It's been real, really great speaking to you. And I hope you all enjoyed listening. Thanks so much to Sporting Mind Charity as well um, for their support. Check them out as well. If you are struggling, there's Samaritans or Mind Charities. Lots of people do understand and can help. There's also a shout. You can text 85258. Um, you can contact me as well. I am on social media. Um, we really appreciate your feedback as well. Thanks again, Paul. It's, no I can't wait to see what you do this season and watch your journey. Uh, thanks so much for listening. <laughs> Thank you and speak soon.